0: I, uh, I decided to do this series on Romans because I was, I was concerned, not with you lot, but I was concerned with the church in general that um, that really we haven't got a good handle on what we believe. I think the modern day church, uh, well don't just think I know, it's a, it's a creation of ourselves in many, many ways. The early church wasn't church as we know it. The early church was really just like our connect groups. They would meet in homes. And uh, the worship, the time they spent together, was was really focused on what they believed and who they believed in. And on discipleship and on following God with all their hearts and all their mind and all their strength. There wasn't so much style. And uh, there wasn't... Uh, A performance as church can be if we're not careful. And often today, our focus isn't so much on what we believe. In fact, if we did a research this morning on what we all believed, we would be shocked at the difference, the divergence amongst us all about what we really believe and what we really believe is important. But what happens, tends to happen today, is people come to church because they like it. They like the music, they like the style, they, there's something about it that attracts them and we tend to treat church a little bit like a supermarket. We go down the aisle and we pick the one we like and we put that in our shopping bag and if so, all, all of a sudden something happens, we don't like it anymore, we throw it out of our shopping bag and we get, a, get something else off the shelf and put it in there. And It becomes, our church, as we know it, becomes something for us rather than a group of people we join ourselves to so that we can express our love for God into the community in which we live. Church in the early days was more about what they could give out than what they could receive in. But I, I believe we've created a church which is a, a consumer beast, if you like. And we've become purveyors of fine churches. And we just... Uh, you know, just like wine critics, we become church critics, uh, and we all do it, don't we? You go away on holiday and you go to another church, and what do you do when you sit there? <laughs> you 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 become a critic of what's going on, not a critique, but a critic. Uh, I'm I'm won't tell you what church it was, but I went to a church one day and I was sitting there. It was a, it was actually a funeral, and I was sitting there in all of my holiness and greatness, criticizing the whole thing. <laughs> and I was, I was I was you know I was reading what was in front of me. I thought, oh how ridiculous! That's not true. And I, I was just I was just criticizing. And I looked across the aisle. i probably told you this before. I looked across the aisle, and there, on the other side, was this this. I I was young then, as this this older lady, and she was kneeling, worshiping God through it. And God spoke to me. He didn't just speak to me. He growled at me. I, I was growled at. I really knew. And he said, "How dare you sit there in criticism when you are meant to be worshiping me? How do you like that?" And this is basically what he said to me he said you you you're more worried about the words and the form and the structure, and you've forgotten that I exist." He said, but she is worshipping me and uh, that that really woke me up a little bit that we have we have just become a little bit surface oriented we come and we you know, and we we, we we treat church like church like a railway station. We come when we go, we come when we feel like it, we stay home when we don't, and all that sort of stuff. And yet our gatherings here this morning are not about us. It's not about whether you like the songs or not, it's not about whether you whether you um, really get into what the worship leader's doing or not. That, that's not the issue. The issue is who's here? And who are we worshipping? And so I became challenged that that really we we as a church needed to to get down to the nitty-gritty of what we believed. And we needed to to focus on the essentials of our faith. What is really important? What's important to us as Christians? Now, none of this is on the PowerPoint yet. I'm just talking. I haven't got into my notes yet. So if you're trying to find where I'm up to in those notes, you're lost already because I haven't started. So that's what set me off. And I started to study the book of Romans and I realized that some of the things I believed were a little bit miscued as well. And it got exciting for me because my Christian faith became fresh again as I began to discover some things that I always struggled with. I always struggled with certain understandings of, of Christianity as I have received it. And it was exciting. And I trust that this series will be exciting for you as well. Let's turn to our Bibles in Romans chapter 1, shall we? We're into the second half of chapter 1. We're not going to go through this verse by verse every week. That would take us until Jesus comes back. We're going to do it in in blocks or sections so that we can get just the understanding of what, what Paul is trying to say to this church here. But in Romans 1, 1 to 17, last week we saw that Paul is introducing. His letter to a small church in Rome, and when I say small I mean small. The whole church in Rome wouldn't have been a hundred people. And it was spread across several homes, so it was just a few connect groups, really. And straight away we get the wrong impression of the early church. We we get this impression we, we, we see hill songs everywhere. There wasn't a hill song anywhere. There wasn't a nations anywhere, there wasn't a church this size, probably anywhere. They were all just in homes you didn't have cathedrals, you didn't have church buildings, you didn't have names on the door, you didn't have denominations, you didn't, you, you had none of that. You had believers gathering together because they loved God and they gathered in homes. And as you can understand, if you read the book of Corinthians, that brought its own problems because things went on in the homes. You know what goes on in your home? Imagine bringing that into church. Well church was brought into your home well if stuff was going on on your home you brought church into your stuff and stuff went on in the in, in the early church and Paul had to write to deal with some of that stuff and just as in the book in the church of Rome stuff was going on now Paul had never been to Rome Rome was not one of Paul's churches it wasn't one that he had planted Right. The Roman church came through the book of Acts chapter 2. When the people were in Jerusalem, the power of God fell in Acts chapter 2, and they all spoke in tongues, remember? And these people heard the, the, the God being glorified in their own language, and then they took that back to where they lived. They were on uh, pilgrimage in Jerusalem. They went back to their own places, and Rome was one of them. So Romans went back to Rome. They took this new faith back to Rome, and the church in Rome was born there. And it was only little, only little. And Paul's aim, one of them, there are several aims in writing Romans, but his aim, one of his aims was to share the foundation truths of Christianity with a church that was struggling. It was struggling with several things. It was struggling with theological difficulties. There were Jews and there were Gentiles there. And there was a, there was a problem between two different understandings of Christianity. And that, that'll be enough for today. Two different understandings of Christianity, but it was splitting the church badly. And so Paul writes to address that issue. And a large part of Romans is dealing with the Jew and Gentile issue. And we will get to that eventually, maybe. But he's also writing to a church that's struggling with social and political opposition from without. They're in a place that's not conducive to, to the Christian faith. They're in a, in a, in a hellhole, really. They're in a city where, where God is not worshipped at all they're in a city where it's not safe to worship God. And so this church really needs to know what it believes because it's a struggle to be a Christian there. Not like New Zealand, you can be a Christian easy. You don't lose your head for being a Christian here. Someone might laugh at you occasionally. They might say nasty little things behind your back occasionally and may even put something on Facebook about you, but really that doesn't hurt. But in this city, you could die for being a Christian. It was not a safe place to be. And this church was struggling with this stuff. They really needed to know what they believed if they were going to be firm. Just like we need to know what we believe if we're going to be firm in our faith with the things that come our way. So like the church today, this church needs to know what it believes. And Paul introduces in in Romans chapter 1, The concept of the gospel. We talked about this last week too. I will keep doing this. I will just revise what we did last week because some of you weren't here last week and you missed it. So you're not going to miss it. I'm going to tell you again. He introduced the foundation of the gospel. And we have, I always had the understanding that the gospel was what we told a non Christian. Hmm? You share the gospel. So it's sort of like the four spiritual laws. You know, you're a sinner, and you need God, and God loves you, so he sent Jesus, and we accept Jesus, and we pray the sinner's prayer, and hunky-dory, you go to heaven. That's the gospel, right? Wrong. Now, that's part of the good news, but the good news is a person. Paul introduces in Romans that the good news, the gospel, is a person. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the good news. He is the good news, not a message, not a mantra, not a not a liturgy, but a person. And you see the great thing about a person being the good news is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ meets you wherever you are. If you are sick, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer. If you are lonely, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer. If you are in need in any area, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is the answer. He is the good news. And so Paul stresses the fact that the gospel isn't a message, it's a person. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's faith in this person that saves us. We're not saved because we go through number one to number two to number three to number four, and hey, presto, I'm now saved. We are saved because I put my trust in a person. So when you lead someone to Christ, you're leading them to a person. Not through a list of things they have to follow. Does that make sense to you? We often think, oh, I can't share my faith. I don't know the liturgy. I don't know the form. I can't take them through a proper sinner's prayer. Well, what's a proper sinner's prayer? Help Jesus, I need you. That's enough. Hmm? It's introducing someone to a person. Anyone can share their relationship with a person with somebody else. Anyone can share what Jesus has done for them. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And, of course, the good news is relative to what a person's going through, isn't it? If you are in, in a financial need, the good news is that Jesus came to set you free from that. If you are in pain, the good news is that by his stripes we are healed. If, if you are lonely, the good news is that Jesus came to be your friend. So the good news, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is good news to people wherever they are, whatever circumstance of life they're in. It's not good news, I'm going off track here this morning, but I think I need to say this. It's not good news to go to someone who's hurting and in pain and lonely and tell them they're going to hell. Hear me? Hear me? that's not good news. Good news is Jesus came for you. He came because he loves you. He died because he loves you. Jesus loves you. Hmm. That's good news. So we need to adjust our understanding of the gospel a little bit. Paul shares that in his, in his, in his message. It's faith in this person that changes us. And the, the wonderful thing about the gospel, the good news, is it's good news for us all of our lives. See, if the gospel is just a mantra, it's just a thing you go through to get saved, then you do it once and that's it. But a person of the Lord Jesus Christ, a relationship with a person, goes with you every day through every circumstance you have in life. So the gospel, the good news is good news for me today when I'm feeling a bit sick. It's good news for me tomorrow when I'm feeling better. It's good news for me when I've had a car accident. It's good news for me when I'm struggling financially. It's good news for me when I'm having problems in my family. It's good news for me in my marriage. Jesus is good news in every circumstance of my life. He's good news from the moment I get saved to the moment I go into eternity. Jesus is good news for me. The gospel is the gospel every day of my life. It's an ongoing progressive relationship with a person. Do you get that? I hope so, because that's the truth. It's faith in this person that gives us power to live no matter what comes our way. When I am struggling in life, I put my faith in the person, not in a message. I put my faith in a person. It's Jesus that gets me through. So we start the Christian life by faith, and we live the Christian life by faith. It continues day after day. Romans 1.16, Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, not ashamed of the good news about Jesus because the good news about Jesus is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the good news about Jesus, a righteousness, a being in the right from God is revealed. A righteousness, a being in the right that is by faith, from first to last, just as it is written, those who are in the right will live by faith. Righteousness means being in the right, not being a goody two-shoes. All right. So he now turns his attention to the question, why is this good news needed? Why is it necessary? Why do people need good news? What's the real problem that afflicts mankind? Why are so many bad things happening in a world created by a good God? Romans one eighteen to 32. Now this is really based on Genesis 1 to 3, which we've looked at already but we're going to go through this again. And then in a few weeks' time, we're going to revisit this passage again and look at some specifics. But Romans 1, 18 to 32, let's read this. It's quite long. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. This is a really uplifting passage. I want you to know this. This, is, this will really get you excited. You'll be jumping up and down by the time I finish this. Because of this, God gave them over. Notice this phrase is used over and over. God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even the women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and are inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to a deprived mind to do what ought not to be done. They become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Find yourself in here anywhere? (laughs) They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Now i got you all. They're senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they knew God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they didn't only continue to do those very things, but also approved of those who practiced them. How's that? Isn't that uplifting, glorifying? Don't you just feel excited reading that? I want to tell you a little story. While we were in Auckland, uh, we had our church in a school. And this school had shade trees that had been planted many years ago so that the kids could have eat their lunch in the shade. And uh, these, they were beautiful trees. The kids used to enjoy them. They sit under the, under the trees, as I said, have their lunch and be protected from the sun. And one day, like happens in Auckland quite frequently, the storm came, a storm came through. and we came to, came to church on the Sunday morning, and here was one of these beautiful trees, broken in half, splat just on the ground. Now, the storm was not the problem. When you looked at the tree, the tree was rotten on the inside. It had rot, Something had happened within the roots, and the tree had become rotten on the inside. So when the storm came, it broke. The problem, as I said, was in the roots. Over time, the the rot had spread within the tree. It was unseen. The leaves maybe might have looked a little bit different if you were really clever and knew about plants, but to the untrained eye, nothing looked wrong until the storm came, and then you discovered the tree that you had been sheltering under was ready to kill you in the right circumstances. There was no real indication of the great danger that lurked within the tree. It took a storm to reveal that, th- that the tree was broken on the inside, and really needed to come down. Now, Paul in Romans one eighteen to thirty two is showing the same problem within the human race, that even though things look okay on the outside at times, there is a rot on the inside that is just waiting for the right circumstances before it comes out and becomes obvious to everybody. You are such a lovely person until the right circumstances come along that push you to what's really there. Like a toothpaste tube, squeeze it hard enough and toothpaste comes out, squeeze you hard enough and stuff comes out that people didn't know actually existed. True? Hmm. Or am I the only one like that? Even though there may from time to time in, in society be signs of corruption, disintegration and decay all around us, there's a problem that's much deeper than the surface stuff. There's a problem in that tree much deeper than the leaves. It was actually rot within the roots or a disease within the roots. And In Genesis chapter 3, a disease came into humanity which has been infecting the human race ever since it's manifested itself in all sorts of ways, many times it's looked good on the outside, but underneath it's been rotten. I, I remember as a kid going to church with my mum, and because dad only went when he was on the door, other times he stayed home, and uh, <laughs> and I'd, I'd go with mum every Sunday. And, and as a little kid, I, I noticed something: people on the inside of the building were different than the people on the outside of the building. They're the same people. But when they got out of the building, it's like demons were released. You know, they were so holy and I I, I was a naughty boy. I just want you to know, I was naughty. I, I I was one of those kids that sat over where Charmaine's sitting and was always misbehaving. Mum was in the choir so she couldn't control me, so I just had free reign. And mum always used to hear this from other choir ladies Oh, look at that little boy! Isn't he naughty? And she said, Oh, it's mine. But I, I wasn't a, a well behaved, wonderful little kid. I used to take my offering to school and spend half of it on the way on lollies and give the other half. I wasn't very righteous, or and the, our misguided sense of righteousness. I wasn't very pious or very holy. But I could notice something people on the inside changed when they got out. These ladies who sang in lovely voices, when they got out, it was like demons were released. (laughs) And even as a little boy, I discovered something about human nature. We're rotten to the core. We put on a wonderful show but when we're squeezed, look out world. Hmm? You can put on a show for so long, but eventually what's there comes out, right? So Paul in Romans 1, 18 onwards, is writing to show what the state of humanity is really like. And as we move on, he goes further and he says, all right, you people, you might think that's just the bad ones. but well, I want to tell you the good ones are just as bad. And I want to tell you that the religious ones are even worse. That's for later. But he covers the whole of humanity. As humanity's rotten to the core, there's a rot there. What does this rot look like? Let's have a look at Romans 1.18. What does this, this rot look like within the roots of the human tree? Verse 18, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness. I love the American way. Wickedness! Of men and women who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Now let's look at that first word, godlessness. That just means life without God. The rot in the human tree is that we have decided to live our lives without God. Not putting God at the center. Humanity was created to know God, to worship God, to love him, and to serve him. Look, Genesis 1 and 2, that was the picture. Humanity was created to love God, to have him at the center, but now humanity has chosen to displace God. In Genesis chapter 3, Eve and Adam and Eve decided to disregard God's word and to go their own way, and God was put out of the center God was displaced, and now we have a godless world, by and large. The second thing about this rot is the word wickedness. Now, wickedness doesn't mean naughtiness. It just means injustice or being out of joint. Have you ever had a a limb that's out of joint? Well, that's what this word means. Sort of dislocated, not the way it was created to be. Causing pain, causing heartache everywhere it goes, bringing damage wherever it goes. Injustice, out of joint. Mankind, Paul is saying, is busted, broken, and needs to be put right again. And the result in verse 18 is the wrath of God. Now, I have had this all wrong too. I always thought God was angry with me. I always had this impression that God was there like a like a sort of mean Father Christmas with a black beard instead of a right one and he had a, had a four by two with a nail in it and he's waiting for me to do something wrong I whack across the head. Foolish boy! Just sort of angry God. <sighs> the wrath of God is not against people. It's at the disease God is angry with the disease that has infected us he's angry with what's going on on the roots of the tree he's not angry with you he's not angry with non-Christians he's not angry with people he's angry with what has mucked people up he's angry with the situation You know, you, parents you know that when when something hurts your children you become angry don't you I remember when our our eldest daughter was in hospital with her hip problem, and and she used to have to go in and see the specialist, and, and he he was a mean man. I really almost hit him one day, and, and he 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 was just didn't have much compassion at all. And I remember him doing the doing the manipulation on her hips, and honestly, it was like he was quartering a chicken. And this, this was a kid who was in pain. You know, her hip was out of joint all the time. And, and, and he grabbed her leg, and he just went, raw, 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 and ripped the whole thing. I, remember it, hon? And I, I was, it took me all my being to control myself. My fists were going white. I became angry at the situation. This was wrong. Now, I know he needed to find out some stuff, but there's nice ways of doing it. But he was just mean. He used to leave the babies on the operating time. The babies would be left to last in the operating procedure. So we went in seven o'clock in the morning, nil by mouth with a four-month-old. And then she would have to wait until five in the evening before she was brought in. Now, these days, now, I just feed, we just feed her. Stick you. We just feed her and go home. Blow you. If you're not going to look, look after the kid, we'll go home. We'll have the operation another day. But we were... But, didn't quite realise we could do that. Doctors were right, aren't they, John? All the time. Hey, Rahul. We just believed that the doctor was always right, so we just we just did as we were told. But but it was just mean. And those situations made me angry. God is angry with the situation of this world, not with the people in it. Do you get that? He's angry. It deeply hurts him to see his creation broken. You know when you build a sandcastle on the beach and some mean kid came up and kicked it over? You've all had that deep anguish in your soul, haven't you? there's an anger at the situation. That is not right. It should not be. Now, you don't know the kid. You don't know whether the kid's a nice kid or a bad kid or whatever. It's the situation. This is not right. God is angry because the situation is not right. It's broken, and it needs a cure. Let's carry on looking. Let's look at this rock now. What does it look like? We've identified it. It's godlessness and wickedness. It's life without God, and it's injustice. It's being out of joint. It's being broken. So what does this, how does it manifest itself? Verse 18, against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Verse 19, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. First thing we notice about humanity is we suppress the truth and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. One thing about our society, and it's not just our society now, it's mankind has always been this way, is mankind refuses to allow the truth of God to shine. There's something within human beings that doesn't want God to to be talked about, spoken about, in any way at all. We see the evidence of God's existence, but refuse to acknowledge it. In Romans, in the end of verse 18, verse 19 and verse 20, we can see creation, we can see what he's made, but we ignore the fact he's made it. And Paul's saying there, it's obvious God has made this stuff. Come on, people, can't you see? Can't you see there's a design here? It's not just an accident. It's not just a, a, a big dark explosion in a dark hole. It's created by a creator, by someone who's had something in mind. The, the more you look at science, the more that you must acknowledge that it's created, it's designed, it's, it's too intricate to be an accident. It's like taking a watch and smashing it up, putting it in a bucket and shaking it around and expecting a watch to come out. It's not going to happen. Chance cannot make something that's intricate. It's designed. It's created. And God's saying, stupid people, you don't, you suppress the truth. You refuse to acknowledge that I exist, even though you see what I've made. See, the fallen heart of man doesn't want God in their lives. And that's something I've seen over the last 46 years of being a Christian, that people don't want God. I always used to think that everybody was running around just dying to get to know God. They're not. We worked that one out? <laughs> people don't care. They really don't want to know. They're not interested. Some are, but by and large, people are resistant to God. In fact, they'll receive anything but God. You can, you can believe anything, but don't you believe, don't you believe in God? You can, you can be anything, but if you're a Christian, then you're really bad. Now, we've deserved half of that by some of the ways we've behaved. But people do not want to know the truth. They suppress the truth. Verse 21, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. The art of worship has been lost. We've forgotten how to worship God by and large. Man who was made to worship God has forgotten how to do it. And as a result, verse 21, their thinking became futile. Distorted thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. A heart dislocated from God becomes dark. So we've got humanity who doesn't want to know God, so their thinking is distorted and their heart is dark. That's, That's what the rot looks like. Our thinking controls our lives. It determines the conditions of our hearts. As a man thinks within himself, so is he. (laughs) Funny old world we live in. And then Paul says in verse 22, although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. You just have to look at politicians to find that out. You know, politicians think they've got all the answers, just like we do. Oh, you just got to change this. You know, if you change this, it'll just solve the whole problem. But when I was doing my, my degree, I discovered a, a thing called systems theory, that systems are highly complicated. And when you change one little thing in a system, it changes everything else. You think you're fixing something, and you've created a 15 problems down the line because everything's related. And we, in our wisdom, think we're going to solve a problem, and we do something to solve the problem, and it creates another problem. You know that? So, so, politicians create laws. Oh, we, we'll fix it. We'll fix the prostitution problem. We'll legalize it. We'll fix the, this problem. We'll just legalize it. We'll fix this problem. We'll stop you doing it. We'll, 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 we'll just control your life. We'll put a law in place and it'll solve it. Laws don't solve stuff. They just create another problem. <laughs> I could go to town on some of the stupid laws that have been passed. You know, legalising drugs. You know, marijuana's the next one. We used to have a, a a guy in our church, or several of them actually, in our first church, who were who were druggies, just hey hun. And and um, I, I discovered the evils of marijuana dealing with those guys. You know, one of them—he was demonized. He was just his 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 whole life, his sexual life, his social life, his spiritual life was totally wrecked by marijuana. I discovered it was probably probably one of the most dangerous drugs of the lot. Looks harmless, has positive side effects when you're in pain, but has incredible danger dangers attached to it. Incredible, and we in our great wisdom think, oh, just legalize it and we create another problem. We deceive ourselves that our thinking is right. Mankind's deceived. We all are. We deceive ourselves that our thinking's right, but if our thinking doesn't match God's thinking, we've got a problem. It'll always fail. And then in verse 23, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man what mankind has begun to do is worship himself. Now you, you can call it a tree, you can make it a, a calf, you can make it a, a, a statue, you can, or you can be in our society where it's just my efforts. It's all self-worship. It's all worshiping our own creation. And, and one of the prophets, I think it was Isaiah, really gets stuck into this. He says, how stupid. You, you cut down a tree And half of it you burn for your fire, and the other half you turn into a God and you say, You made me. He said, You're dumb. You just burnt half of it to get warm. And now you're worshiping the other half. Stupid person. You're worshiping the created, not the creator. And we we do the same. We worship our own efforts, we worship our own thinking, we worship our own opinions. It's putting self on the throne instead of God. That's what the rot looks like. Not a good picture, is it? That's us, people. And then it says in verses 24 to 32, we haven't even gotten to the juicy stuff, have we? In 24 to 32, it says God gave them over. Several times, God gave them over. God gave them over. In other words, he gave the responsibility for their behavior over to them, and along with its consequences. So God released them into what they wanted. All right? You want it, you have it, but you'll have to live in it. It's got consequences, people. You reap what you sow. God gave them over, and this answers the question, why doesn't God do stuff? Why doesn't God fix the starving problem? Why doesn't God God gave them over. He released this world into what it wanted and its consequences. God doesn't create this stuff. We have created it. We have created starvation. We have created a racial problem. We have created inequality between man and woman. We have created sexual problems. We have created it. God has not created it. God gave them over. So if we ignore God and follow our own brokenness, what we will expect is for humanity or humanness to dissolve. Mankind becomes less human the longer it goes on. We become more and more like what we worship. And I'm going to cover this in about three sentences. Verse 24 to 27, the result of that is sexual dysfunction. We're coming back to this one in a few weeks' time. We're going to talk about God's sex and people. Because so I don't think we talk about sex enough in church. You want to agree with me? Well, I'm going to talk about it next time. What does God say about sex? It's not what this says about it, this is showing the sexual life that is distorted, that is destroyed because mankind's gone his own way. And when mankind goes his own way, this is the sort of stuff that happens. Now, Paul is not writing a list of naughty things that send you to hell. One of our rugby league players needs to learn this. Not ours, Australia's. Rugby players. This is not a list of things that send people to hell. This is a list of... Things that happen when man goes his own way. This is the result. This is the leaves on the tree. This is the result of the rot that that happens when we take God from out of the center and go our own way. This stuff happens. It's not a you'll go to hell if you do this stuff. Please hear me. The church has berated some of the people who do some of these things and treated them like horrible, nasty, revolting whatever's, and that is not what Paul is saying, because he's got you in this list as well. You are there, because I'm sure you've gossiped. I have. And I'm sure you've been disobedient to your parents. I have many times. We are all on this list. It's not a list of horrible people. It's a list of things that happen when man gets disjointed, when when life gets out of kilter. When we lose our humanity and when we put God away from the center, we get dysfunctional sexually. Verse 28, we get dysfunctional spiritually. Furthermore, they didn't think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a deprived mind to do what ought not to be done and then we get dysfunctional socially verse 28 to 32 we start doing things that hurt other people and those are all distorted behaviour that come from human brokenness they're the fruit they're the result they're not the cause hear me? They're not the cause. They are the result. The cause is taking God from being center and putting him somewhere else. And as a result, mankind starts to end up like this. But this is not an order of naughtiness from worst to smallest. And you're okay if you do this stuff down the bottom, but if you do that stuff at the top, oh, you're going to hell. That is not what that is. These are all equal. This is just the examples that Paul is giving of three areas, sexual, spiritual, and social, that get mucked up when we don't go God's way. And you don't fix them with laws, you fix them by putting God back in the center. You don't fix them by calling people nasty and naughty and bad, you fix them by giving them the gospel, the good news that Jesus is the answer. And in time... These things get fixed if Jesus is allowed to be the answer. And you know what we've done? We've made those things the problem. We've called those things the enemy. We've written books about those things. We've had marches about those things. We've written Facebook posts about those things. We've made those things the nasty things, and we've forgotten that the problem is not those things, the problem's us the problems in here and Paul goes on in Romans chapter 2 and Romans chapter 3 and says you religious people you're just as bad because you too have taken God and put him out of the center you people who call yourself God's children you are just as bad because you are not honoring him as God at the center of your lives and i think today if romans was written again jew probably wouldn't be there the third the the, the, the end of the second chapter and the beginning of the third would be written about the church And he'd say, church, you think you've got the answer and yet you're not living the answer. And you're not living the answer because God's not at the center. And because you're not living the answer, you are causing God's name to be blasphemed. Because they say about you, you're just hypocrites. You say one thing and you do another. And you do that because God is not at the center. See, Paul's painting a picture. He's very, very careful in doing it. He's painting a picture of what God wants to do, why he needs to do it, and then how he goes about doing it in the church. When he's finished, he gets a picture of a glorious church that is living what it believes. And it lives what it believes because it's put God at the center. It's not criticizing people who are in that list of Romans 1. It's not calling them evil and bad. It's just sharing the good news with people who are lost like us. And the good news news is that Jesus came to set you free. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you so that he could bring you back to the Father because the Father isn't angry with you. He loves you. That's a nice new message, isn't it? It's not denying the fact that those things exist. It's just saying they're not the problem. The problem's in here. The problem's in me.